You are tuning into the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Well, we are in week nine of our Daring Faith series, but it's kind of a hybrid because it's also, I'm going to call it week zero of our next series. It's that launching point. It's that sending from one, laying the foundation for the other. It's all sorts of things. If it were a building, it would be an absolute mess, but it's not a building. It's a message, so it'll be great. We, we're talking about daring faith. We're talking about moving forward in ways we've never moved before, trusting God in ways we've never trusted God before, allowing God to move in our lives in ways we never thought possible. Does anybody in here want that? I know I do. We're going to talk about what God is doing. We're going to talk about who God is, how God provides for us today, because today we're talking about provision but we're also talking about what it means to move forward into what God has for us, what God has for us individually and what God has for us corporately at True North Church. And if you look at the banners along the wall here, you've got the banner over here says churchpacity. And if you've ever looked at that word, now that's just a made up word. All words are made up, okay? That's just a word that True North Church has made up. And that word was made up by Pastor Mark. It's a combination of three terms that are vitally important. It's church, it's capacity, and it's city. Church capacity is defined as a people of faith living on mission, building a place with more space. And we're not building a place with more space. We're not erecting that steel structure on College Road so that we have more elbow room for the people who are already here. We're doing it for the people who have not yet experienced the freedom that Jesus Christ can bring. We're doing it for the people who haven't found out that they can be delivered. We're doing it from the people who haven't found hope. We're doing it for the people who haven't found joy. That's what we're doing. We are moving forward for people who don't know Jesus. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. It's trying to reach a city. And when I say a city, I don't just mean Fairbanks. I mean Fairbanks, North Pole, Moose Creek, Esther, Fox, College, Fort Wainwright, Isleson. It could be Nanana. It could be Clear, Anderson. It could be any of the villages. It doesn't matter where you are. Where you are is where God wants you to reach. Where you are is where God wants you to impact. Where you are is your circle of church capacity. And we're all called to move in that direction. And as we move forward in this series, as we move forward in talking about daring faith, I want you to think about this. I had a former coworker back in Washington. He said, the three stupidest words in the English language are, I dare you. Why is that? Because I dare you is usually followed by something foolish, something dangerous, something weird even, right? I dare you to eat this thing that nobody should eat. I dared one of my college friends one time to drink a concoction at lunch. She said the only thing that really stood out to her was the maple syrup. Why do we do it? Because when we're young, we have to take bold steps to prove what we're capable of. But what if God dared you to go somewhere you've never gone before? What if God dared you to quit your job so he could bring you into a new occupation? What if God dared you to move to a new state, a new country? What if God dared you to do something that you don't feel comfortable with? It means it's his will. And if you truly trust God, it can't just be trusting him with what you're comfortable with. It's trusting him in your discomfort. It's trusting him to make you uncomfortable, to make you grow, to make you move forward, to make you impactful in ways you've never been impactful before. 
So we've been talking through daring faith. I dare you to let God use you this week. I dare you to let God show you something through this message that you've never thought about before or that you haven't thought about in a while. I dare you to allow yourself to be awakened to things that have gone dormant. Can we, can we do that today? Can we be those people today? Because we've been talking about faith and faith is moving things forward. And here's the thing. If you're standing still, you're falling behind because everything else is moving forward. If you dig in your heels, you will be left behind. You have to be willing to let God move. You have to be willing to let God do something powerful. So as we talk through today, wrapping up Daring Faith and moving into a new conversation about church capacity, we're talking about running another lap. Because we have to understand this, as believers in Christ, the race is not over until he says, well done which means we have to keep moving forward. We have to keep running the race. And what does that look like? That's what this next series is going to be about, is running that race, finding another lap, continuing to move things forward until he says, well done. Amen? Amen. We'll partner together. But today we're going to wrap up talking about the miracle of provision. And how many of us here, when we hear the word provision, we think money? I think my, those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're holier than I am. Because I read this message, I'm like, oh, provision, we're talking about finances. No, it's not just finances. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about believing that God is who he says he is, that God has done what he said he's done and he'll do it again. And you might be in a position in our economy, I mean, how many of us know 8% inflation and the price of eggs doubling doesn't really make sense, Right? The math doesn't add up in that. We've gone from a place where it's like, uh, maybe I shouldn't buy a Starbucks today, or maybe generic peanut butter is better than Skippy peanut butter. It's not, trust me. And now we're at a point where it's like, how do I make do with only one car instead of two? How do I figure out how to balance everything because my costs have gone up, but my income has stayed the same, and I've now got more month than money? Right. What do I do? How do I move forward in that? How do I trust God in that? Because it feels like everything is getting away from me. Maybe you're a single parent, multiple kids on a single income. Maybe, you're, maybe you've got college debt or medical bills or insurance hasn't come through or you're paying for braces for the third or fourth time and maybe you're paying for kids' activities and they're traveling out of state because we all know living in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, it's kind of hard to play football against people here. Things add up. And they can get out of control quickly. And you could be on your knees crying out, why, God, why? Because he wants you to trust him. We only cry out to God when things get hard. So what does God want us to see? What does God want us to acknowledge? And this is not gonna be a financial peace university message. Dave Ramsey is brilliant when it comes to finances. I'm not Dave Ramsey, so that's not gonna be what this message is. We're gonna look at scripture. We're gonna look at what God has done. And if God has been, is, and always will be, then what he has done is true for then, but it is also true for now. It is something we can look back at and something to look forward to. And we can trust that God is who he says he is. And we can see countless examples in scripture of people who feared they didn't have enough. But we can see in each of these stories, our first point, which is this. In every story of need, there's a miracle of provision. Right. 
There's a miracle of provision, something they could not make happen on their own, something that required God to reach down from heaven, put his hands on earth and make himself known. We see in the story of the feeding of 5,000, or 5,000 men plus women and children sitting on a hillside listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus tells his disciples, you know what? Everything in town is closed. Feed these people. And the disciples are like, with what? We don't have anything. Jesus looks them square in the eye and says, what do we have? Well, this kid over here has a lunch. Jesus took it. He prayed over it. He handed it out. And everybody fed to overflowing. And they had 12 baskets left over with just five loaves and two fish. Weeks later, he's teaching 4,000 people. He's like, hey, let's feed these people. And the disciples with very short-term memory loss, apparently, are like, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus is like, the same thing we did last time. Work with what we have. What do we have? And they found loaves and fishes and they multiplied it and they fed 4,000 men plus women and children. Jesus was able to take what little was given to him and turn it into enough for a crowd. Two weeks ago, we talked about the widow whose husband, the prophet, passed away and left her with all the bills. What a nice guy, right? I'm sure he did it on purpose. But she's in a position where her two sons are about to be taken into slavery. And she reaches out to the prophet Elisha. And he doesn't say, what can I do? He asks the question, what do you have? What do you have? And she says, nothing except a small jar of olive oil. He's like, that's enough. As long as you have something, that's enough. And he tells her, go gather all the jars you possibly can and get them all filled. And Jesus, or, and God continues to pour out the oil until she has no vessels left to fill. She has enough to pay off her debts. She has enough to live comfortably for the rest of her life because she gave what she had to God and God miraculously provided You know, we see in the story of the people of Israel wandering for 40 years in the desert because of their disobedience. What did God do? He provided bread from heaven. He provided quail. Despite the fact that they'd been disobedient, despite the fact they were only in the wilderness because they wouldn't trust God, he still came through for them. We see meat provided by ravens to the prophet Elijah after one of the most awesome displays of God's power ever. He ran in fear. He hid in the mountains and the ravens had to bring him food. We see a man jump overboard and start to drown and a fish swallows him up. Why, did, why was he drowning in the first place? Because he was running from God's will. What does that show us? We don't have to be perfect in order for God to provide. We just have to be obedient. We just have to allow him to operate on our behalf. We have to give him the opportunity. In every story of need, God does not show up because the people are perfect. God shows up because he's perfect. God does not show up because we are perfect. God shows up because he is perfect. In every story of need, there is a miraculous provision. There's a story of a single mom. She's she's in rough financial straits, recently divorced, raising kids on her own. And she decides, I'm gonna pray like Daniel. I'm gonna pray with the windows open. So she kneels, she prays over and over at the window. God, things are tight, things are challenging. I can't afford food for my kids. I can't afford school supplies for my kids. And her neighbor, who's an atheist, overhears. And he's like, I'm gonna prove something to this woman. And he goes to the grocery store and he buys the food and he buys the school supplies and he leaves them on her porch, rings the doorbell and hides. And the woman comes out, she sees nobody. She falls on her knees and cries out to God, God, you're so good, you're the God of provision. I can't believe you provided everything we needed. 
And the man pops out from the corner. He's like, got you. God didn't provide those groceries. I provided those groceries. Where's your God now? And she looks him square in the eye, goes back to worshiping. She's like, God, you're so good. Not only did you provide, you made the devil pay the bill. (laughs) God will come through in miraculous ways. I don't think that neighbor really liked that very much, that he was the tool that God used to fulfill God's provision. But we see that over and over that God will make a way. It says in Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all. Say all. All your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say a few. It says all your needs. Why is that important? Because we want a lot more than we need, amen? Right. Does anybody, anybody ever let their wants get in the way of their needs? It's like, my kid needs braces, but I'd really like a new snow machine. And if you can only have one and all of a sudden you're in rough position because you can't afford your kid's braces because of a decision you made for yourself. How many of us let our wants prevent our needs from being provided for God has provided for you and you gave yourself the credit. Do we ever see that? God, I have this need. All of a sudden you have a windfall come your way. You're like, God, thank you so much for the things that I want, but I still have this need. We're getting in the way of God's provision. We're allowing what we want to prevent God from meeting our needs. We need clothing, but what we want is Air Jordans a really nice fur-lined Sorrells or that new fancy pair of extra tufts, right? What we need is rest. What we want is an all-inclusive resort vacation in the Caribbean. The darker it gets, the more good that sounds, right? (laughs) What we need is shelter. What we want is granite countertops, a 4K TV, a full 5.1 channel surround sound system, a three-car garage, and a giant truck to put in it. What we want is beyond what we need. But we'll cover our wants long before we, we expect that we're taking care of our wants, God will meet our needs. God may provide your needs at the expense of your wants. But what you need is more important. There is a difference between what we need and what we want. So we're gonna look at a few different ways that God wants to impact us through his provision. I've got three principles today of God's miraculous provision. And the first one is this. This is the one you'll remember because it rhymes. When God guides, he always provides. When God guides, he always provides. When you move in the direction that God has called you, he will be waiting for you at the end of that road. It says in Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you always. Say always. Always. He will satisfy your needs in a a sun-scorched land or in a sun-deprived land as we live in right now. God will meet you where you are. God will meet your needs where you are. Here's the thing. God does not provide for all your dreams. God will provide what he needs for you to reach his dreams. Let me say that again. God will not provide for your dreams for your life. God will provide for his dreams for your life. Are you willing to move in that direction where the provision lies or are you set on where you're at and forcing God to meet you where you are instead of meeting him where he's calling you? 
God will provide. Some of you might think God's not coming through for me. I've got a house payment and a car payment due on the same day. I've got a family vacation to pay for. I still haven't paid off Christmas of 2014. Have we ever been in that position? We have to remember that God will provide for our needs, sometimes at the expense of our wants. Here's an example from scripture. How many of us know the story of Abraham? I'll summarize a little bit. Abraham, formerly known as Abram, lived in a land with all his family. And God said, I want you to leave your family and go to this place where you know nobody and you have nothing. And I want you to trust me to make you the father of all nations. And Abraham's like, well, I'm kind of old already, so we'll see how this goes. But sure, I'm going to trust you. So he picks up everything he has. He moves to this foreign place and God allows him to flourish. God says, I promise you, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham is in his 80s, 90s at this point. He's like, God, you're not coming through. So I'm going to make this happen for myself with the help of a handmaiden. Uh, newsflash, bad idea. Gets kind of interrupted a little bit there, but God fulfills the plan. When Abraham is 100 years old, God provides him the son that he promised. And if that was the end of the story, it'd be this miracle, happy, great story. But the story continues. A number of years later, when Isaac is old enough to serve beside his father, to help his father in the fields, God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son to the mountain, lay him on the altar and sacrifice him to me. And if I'm Abraham, I'm over 100 years old at this point. I'm like, I'm sorry, God, I don't think I heard you right. You want me to do what? I'm a little hard of hearing at this point. Take your son to the mountain, sacrifice him to me. So Abraham gathers the rope, gathers the knife and gathers his son and they start walking up the mountain. And Isaac's no dummy. He, he looks around, he's like, I've done sacrifices with dad before. Something's missing. And he says to his dad, dad, we have the rope. We have the knife. Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this. He says this in, Abra or in Genesis 22, 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. And that was a statement of faith, a statement of hope. God hadn't laid out what it was going to look like, but Abraham trusted that God would fulfill. So they reach the top of the mountain. Abraham builds the altar, obeys God, ties his son to the altar. He raises the knife and an angel steps out and says, Abraham, don't kill your son. I now know that you trust God more than you trust yourself. And if I'm Abraham at that point, I throw the knife, I pick up my son, I untie him and I look him square in the eyes and said, don't tell your mom. God asked Abraham to give him everything. The thing that mattered most to him. I provided it to you. Do you trust me with it? Do you trust me enough to give me what you've been praying for? Do you trust me enough? Or are you so focused on what you don't have that you're gonna hold tightly to what you do have? Our lack cannot get in the way of our faith and our obedience. When God directs your steps, he will put provision in your path. When God guides, God provides. Amen? Amen. Amen. Step number two is this, is God miraculously multiplies what is given. And if you don't know already, I used to be a math teacher and I saw the word multiply and I got a little excited. I can't really blame it. Don't blame me. So we're, we're going to do a little math here and I promise it'll be easy. What's one times zero? Zero. zero. Good. What's 50 times zero? Zero. What's a thousand times zero? Okay, what's the lesson there? If I give God nothing, he can't multiply it into anything. 
If I give God nothing, he can't multiply it into anything because anything times zero equals zero. I have to give God something to work with. And it does not matter how big it is, how much it is, because if I give him something, it will multiply. God multiplies what is given. Sometimes God does the whole thing. He'll bring the fish down to rescue somebody. He'll send the bread down from heaven. He's not asking to throw goldfish crackers up into heaven in order to have manna rain down, right? But we see again in scripture, what did God do to multiply the widow's oil? He asked her to give what oil she had. What did God do to bless the 5,000 and the 4,000? He asked somebody to give of what they had. Before Abraham could become the father of all nations, he had to be willing to give the one son he was a father of. But God multiplies what we provide. He invites us into the process. Now, I don't, I don't want this to come across like the prosperity gospel. This is not put $100 in the offering plate and a Mercedes will be waiting in your garage. Praise the Lord, right? This is trusting that God can do and will do what he promised that he can do and will do. It's not karma. It's not about do good things and good things will happen. It's about obedience. It's about doing what God asks you to do, not because of what you get, but because, it's be- because he's asked you to, because he's called it out of you, because he needs you to obey, even if you don't know why. That's where the heavenly father thing comes in. Anybody as a parent ever said, because I said so? because you're so sick of trying to explain all the nuance and all the detail that you know they're not going to understand. When God says, do this because I've asked it of you, it's not because he doesn't trust you, it's because you won't get it. No offense, but he's infinite and we're not. He sees the big picture. We see our limited scope. Do this because I've asked you to. Will it result in what you think it will? No but will it result in benefit and blessing and multiplication? Absolutely, because that's who he is. That's what he's promised to you. God miraculously multiplies what is given. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says this, the generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant toward you. First, he supplies every need plus more, Then he multiplies it as it's sown. He multiplies the seed as it is sown. If I take a handful of grain, I can grind that up, turn that into a loaf of bread, but that's it. If I take that grain and sprinkle it in the field and I water it and I fertilize it and I nourish it, eventually it becomes a field of grain. The difference is patience. The difference is giving it to God and saying, I don't care how long it takes. I know that what you do with it is better than what I can do with it. I can eat for a moment or I can feast for a lifetime depending on what I do with what I have. Depending on what I do with what I have. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We kind of see it in the tithe and that Levitical law that said the first fruits must come to the house of the Lord. And that's where a lot of people get stuck. It's like, why, why would God tell me to give things like that? Why would God ask 10%? Why would God say the first belongs to him? Because it all belongs to him. Right. You only have because he chose to give. Right. 
the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve did not plant a single one of those trees, but they got to eat all the fruit because it was provided to them. After the fall, they had to work for it, but the, the grain and the animals and all of that still came from God. Everything we have is because he has provided. All he asks is that we give the first 10% back to him. But it's not originally found in the law. It predates the law. In the time of Abraham, when he was uh, encountering rebels and soldiers and everything, when he won a battle, the spoils went to the priest. He went to the priest Melchizedek and he said, this is what I got first, it's God's. Do with it whatever God wants to do with it, but I'm giving it away. If you look back even further, the second born son of Adam and Eve, Abel, the reason he was favored over his brother was because he gave what was best and what was first. The precedent is there from the very beginning. Give to God first and see what he does with the rest. God will multiply. God will exponentially multiply what we give him. What does that mean for us? It means that for every dollar we earn, we give a dime back. The first dime of every dollar, not any dime, not what's left over, the first dime of every dollar goes to God because it was all his and he just asked for that first dime back. Now, do you think God actually needs your money? No. God does not need any of our money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God knows everything about every place. He knows where every gold mine is, where every lithium mine is, where every titanium mine is. He could massively resource himself and the church if he so chose. He doesn't. He invites us into the process. He invites us to obey his will. God doesn't need us. He welcomes us. As we sang earlier, we bring him joy. We bring him delight. We were created to make him smile. So of course he's going to give us an opportunity to spend time with him, even when it makes us uncomfortable. Because giving makes people uncomfortable because we have a wrong mindset. We think of it as giving our first 10% to God. But the reality is, is we are giving 10% back to God. It was never yours. God sees fit to provide for us. We see fit to obey by giving back to him. Okay, when, when Ann and I first got married over 20 years ago, we were not, as you would call it, flush with capital, okay? We were young, poor, married college students figuring things out, digging through the couch for change so we could take a walking date for Wendy's to eat off the dollar menu. Those were good times. I have no regrets about those times. Even as things got tight, we took jobs that didn't necessarily pay the best and we had a kid and we were scrapping and saving and making sure that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. But at no point did we ever consider not tithing because we knew that belonged to God. What little we have is still provided from God. And let me just say, God never allowed us to lack. Did we have everything we want? No, but we had everything we needed. We had everything we needed because we trusted God that the 90% that was blessed was better than the 100% that wasn't. And all of us are called to the same thing. If you believe that God is who he says he is, then you believe that the tithe is called upon you too. All of us have that expectation. 
And it's not because God needs our money. It's because God wants to bless you. But God will not multiply zero. God wants to bless you. We had a realization as a church a couple years ago. We had our best year ever, and we realized that the, the net income for the year between events and registrations and offerings, 10% of that had gone to missions that year. Our best year ever came about because we tithed off of what came in. Yeah, the church can tithe too. We looked for organizations and for missionaries that we could partner with to move God's kingdom forward, not just within these walls, but everywhere. We're called to give back to God. So instead of asking the question, can I afford to tithe? You have to ask yourself the question, what am I missing by not tithing? What blessings am I withholding from myself by withholding from God? Because God can only multiply what is initially given. And that leads to number three. And we'll wrap up here today. You might be a part of God's miracle provision. Yeah, you might be the recipient of God's miraculous provision, but you might be the person who's able to provide. You might be the person, like the atheist neighbor next door who saw a need And maybe he met the need for the wrong reason, but he still met the need. We are called not just to be provided for, but to be providers for. It says in 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. On every occasion and through your generosity, that will result in thanksgiving to God. When you are generous, it brings God joy. I want to bring God joy. And I can do that just by giving things away. I don't need things anyway. If I can meet a need and bless God at the same time, that's a double win. What can we do? What are the blessings we're seeing because of the generosity of True North Church? We're currently paying for a Kenyan Bible student to work toward his degree so that the moment he graduates, he's got a church waiting for him. We are uh, paying for three churches every single year, either paying for it outright or contributing towards it. We're helping build Bible colleges like we helped uh, contribute toward Priority One last week. We're supporting missionaries throughout Alaska, supporting missionaries overseas, many of them that came from this house. People we know, we are helping to move God's kingdom forward, not just within the city of Fairbanks, but across the globe. We provided gift cards after the tragedy at Fort Wainwright to help those people, to help our soldiers to kind of bounce back, to have a moment to know we see you. We're caring for you. We're seeing college students come to Jesus because of our investment in Chi Alpha. Because we're never gonna be the church that says we can't do that. We don't focus on our lack. We don't focus on our inabilities. Instead, we ask the question, what can we do? Or who's doing it and how can we empower them and encourage them and support them so they can do it better? It's not about what we can't do. It's about what we can do. We refuse to operate in fear. We're building a building project just up the road here. There are a lot of zeros after that first digit. There's a lot we could be fearful for but we have faith that God has called us to build a new building, not so that we can have more elbow room so we can have room for more elbows. Yeah. 
We want to reach new people. We need room to do that. That's the whole point of church capacity. We are the people living on mission. We are the people of faith working toward a place with more space. Fear asks, what if I run out? Faith says, what do I have to give? What more can I give? Fear says, I don't have enough. Faith says, God is enough. My God is enough. Fear says, I can't afford to tithe. Faith says, I can't afford not to tithe because the percentage that is blessed at 90% is better than 100% that's not. We're called to be people of daring faith. People of daring faith. We can all be a part of God's provision. We can all step out of our comfort zone. We can all help meet a need, but there are two things you have to do in order to do it. Number one, you have to be willing. You have to say to God, I am willing to do what you've called me to do. I'm willing to help other people. I'm willing to reach outside of my comfort zone to help people meet a need. I'm willing to sacrifice my wants for other people's needs. So one, you have to be willing. And two, you have to be watching. You can't just say it and say, I feel good about myself. I told God I'm willing to help out. And then when a need presents itself, you're like, God, there's that need that that I was praying for. I hope somebody comes along and meets it. If you're watching and you're willing, then you can help meet those needs. Maybe it's something major. Maybe it's something minor. Maybe it's scholarshiping a student to go to youth conference or to go to youth camp. Maybe it's helping somebody fund a missions trip or maybe it's finding a missionary and supporting them in their mission to reach people overseas for God. Maybe it's partnering with our Pack the Pantry. Maybe it's going to Costco and buying stuff while they're doing their food bank drive. Whatever it is, if your eyes are open, God will tell you how you can be a tool for his provision. Because this isn't karma. This isn't we're expecting. We're expecting for God to move in us and to God move through us. Are we willing and are we watching? Where's God asking you to be obedient? For some of us in here, that's starting the process of generosity. Giving for the first time. For some of us, it's tithing for the first time. For some of us, it's tithing continually. And for some of us, it's being willing to have our eyes and ears open and to meet the needs that present themselves to us. But for some of us in here today, it's taking that initial step of trusting God for the first time. You can't trust someone you don't know. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never encountered him and the change he can bring to your life, at True North we say that's as easy as A, B, C. A, you must admit that the path you've been walking does not lead to the best possible result. That you've been so busy trying to provide for yourself that you're missing out on God's blessing. So B, you must believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down from heaven, took your sins upon himself as he died upon the cross and rose again to give you new life and a second chance. And C, you must confess him as the Lord of your life. You must give him everything, knowing that if you give it to him, he'll multiply it into something greater. If you've never prayed that prayer of salvation before, I invite you to join us today as we bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you that you welcome us into the process. You could do all of it on your own, but you empower us and you enable us to be part of your process of provision. And Lord, right now, for the people in this room who do not yet know you, Lord, we admit that we can't do it on our own, that we fall short, that we're, we're getting in our own way of your provision. But we believe that you stepped down from heaven to give us a new opportunity, that you died upon the cross to take our sins, give us hope. So Lord, I confess you as the Lord of my life. I confess that your way is the best way and I will give you whatever it takes to see you provide, not just for my needs, but for the needs that I encounter. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. What a fantastic service. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.